Hey everybody, it's Britt, lead pastor at Sunridge. Welcome or welcome back to our teaching podcast. You know, we are on a mission here at Sunridge to help people find and follow Jesus. We believe in the good news that Jesus welcomes all regardless of how far you feel from God. That means we're a great starting point to explore Christianity or to sink your spiritual roots deep as a devoted Jesus follower. If you'd like to know more about us, just check out our website at sunridgechurch.org. And of course, we'd love to have you drop in anytime for a visit to learn and worship along with us. And now, here's our teaching for this week. You guys, you would be uh, interested to know how many people, when I ask them if they'll be my scripture reader on Sunday, they'll ask, well, what's the passage? I want to look at it first. And uh, in case there's any of those ites in there, Amalekites, Perizzites, Parasites, whatever, you know. So uh, good job, Curtis. On all on on that, uh, well, uh, you know whether you're joining us right here on campus or via our live stream, uh, I want to say good morning to all of you and welcome to Sunridge. Uh, if you're new or newer here, my name's Britt. I serve here as the lead pastor, and uh, I want to start. Thank you, Jed. I want to start uh, this morning by asking you a question. Okay, you ready? Who's your favorite person in the Bible? So, look at the person next to you and tell them who your favorite person of the Bible is, okay? All right, now come back to me. Uh, I know the answer is Jesus, right? I mean, it is church, right? But besides Jesus, who's your, your second favorite? Who's your favorite? I mean, how many of you said Paul, Apostle Paul? How many said Abraham? How many said Joseph? How many said Esther or Ruth? Okay, great. You may have noticed that uh, I really love studying the people of the Bible. Um, and you can check our archives, but uh, I, I'm pretty sure we've, we've done at least these. We've, we've looked at uh, Ruth and David, Esther, Gideon, Joseph. Because I, I love to read their stories. I love to uh, study, you know, how they respond to their circumstances, the situation that they're placed in, and uh, the choices that they make. And I love how we see... The people from the Old and New Testament kind of integrate their faith into their lives. And I love to see the expression of their relationship with God in their day and time. And, you know, as it's already been mentioned, we've been in a series, uh, a total of 33 messages counting today, about one of the greatest people in the Bible, Moses. And in fact, here's his obituary in the Bible in Deuteronomy 34.10. Since then, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, who did all those signs and wonders the Lord sent him to do in Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his officials and to his whole land. For no one has ever shown the mighty power or performed the awesome deeds that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. So even the Bible says Moses is one of the greatest of all. Uh, that we can read about. And today we're coming to the close of this series and the end of Moses' life. So we're going to have to say goodbye to Moses until we meet him face to face in heaven one day. So here's what we're going to cover today. We're going to look at the end of his life, how it ends, the circumstances surrounding that, and what God says to him. And as we do that, we're going to ask the question, what made Moses so great? What made him such an amazing man of God and tremendous leader? And of course, we're going to wrap that all up with the implications that what, what that has for you and me today. So when you look back over Moses' life, 
What stands out most to you? What are the qualities that you think, I really I admire that in him? It could be his intelligence or his great strength or resilience, his ruggedness, uh, his talent or his ability to lead people. And I've certainly admired all of those qualities in him. But there's one quality that I think really uh, made Moses truly a great leader. And here's the thing. This thing about Moses, it can be emulated by anybody. And you don't have to be exceptionally smart or talented or gifted or strong in order for this to be something that would describe you. What made Moses great was his heart. And that's what oozes from the passage that we'll look at today as he passes on from this world into the next. It's what I think has emerged from his story overall. And today we're going to be using two parallel passages. We're going to be toggling back and forth between Numbers 27 and Deuteronomy 34 as we look at Moses' last days. And what we're going to see that comes out of this, it's so evident, it's the heart that Moses had. Remember the last time the Israelites were this close to the promised land, that land that God had for them. It's almost 40 years ago. And they sent spies into the land to check it out, to recon it. And they discovered it, as the Bible said, it was a land flowing with milk and honey. But there were too many challenges in the Israelites' mind uh, for them to actually take it. There were formidable cities with fortresses, and there were large people, as the Bible describes it, capable of war. So it was filled with Bo Jacksons and LeBron Jameses, you know. And in spite of all of those challenges that were before them, uh, God wanted them to conquer this land. That was, this was the land that he had for them, that famine drove them from almost 400 years prior. But they failed to trust God in that moment, and they shrank back from the opportunity that God was availing them of. And so God put them in remedial training. And he sent them back into the desert to wander for almost 39 years to learn how to trust him. And there are only, as far as we can tell, there's only three of the original people left. Moses, Joshua, and Caleb. And now as uh, they, they're preparing to take the land, God has decided to make a change in leadership. In Numbers 27, 12, the Lord said to Moses, go up this mountain in the Abiram range and see the land I have given to the Israelites. And after you have seen it, you too will be gathered to your people as your brother Aaron was. Gathered to your people means you'll die. You're going to go to the place that your people are now, where your brother is as well. And if you're like me, when you're reading that story for the first time, you're like, what? Are you telling me that Moses has gone through all of this? Everything that he's had to face in the last 40 years, everything that he's been through in his life that prepared him for this position, and now he won't enter the land with his people? Yeah, that's what I'm telling you. Why? Verse 14, For when the community rebelled at the waters in the desert of Zin, both of you disobeyed my command to honor me, as holy before their eyes. And so God here is reminding Moses what happened when the Israelites were constantly rebelling over and over again, and then even how Moses had rebelled against God. 
And this must be such a painful moment for Moses to not enter the land after his life and his work, and I guess we could say his life's work. But in God's economy, as we talked about last week and the week before, there are consequences for sin. God forgives, but there are consequences that come. And Moses is barred from entering the land because he indulged his rage in the moment. He directly disobeyed God. And he did so in the presence of the people that God had placed him in leadership over. And I don't know about you, but have you ever noticed that sometimes adversity can reveal something about us that we didn't know in the easy times? The point of what God does here is not for human beings to walk around wincing all the time, just waiting for God to blast us because we made some mistake or waiting for God to punish us for the smallest infraction. Rather, this is about Moses intentionally and directly ignoring what God told him. He ignored God's word. And you have to remember that he's not a, your average Israelite. He is God's chosen representative. And so he reflects the image of God to these people. And his failure in that role has greater consequences than just your normal, everyday Israelite. There are really two things about this story that I appreciate. Number one, I really appreciate how God does this. Because even though this is a, this is a direct consequence of Moses' failure, God does an amazing thing in the way that he, he does this, the way he tells Moses. He, he meets Moses at the top of Mount Pisgah. And it's summer, it's almost a mile high. And it's right across the Jordan from Jericho. And God gives him like this IMAX theater view. On a clear day from the top of Mount Pisgah, you can see Jerusalem to the west. You can see the Sea of Galilee to the north. And he just has a vista view of the land of Israel. And then God says to Moses in Deuteronomy 34.4, This is a land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob when I said, I will give it to your descendants. And... Um, in Chuck Swindoll's book on uh, Moses, he says Moses must have whistled when he saw this. It's like he had to go, look at that. It would be like looking down into the Yosemite Valley or standing at the top of Bryce Canyon and looking down into it. It, it had to seem like heaven to Moses. You know, I wonder um, if that's what a believer sees just before they step into eternity. The Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 2.9, No eye has seen, nor ear has heard, and no human mind has conceived the things God has prepared for those who love them. So I love how God sets this up. But then secondly, I love how Moses responds. After showing Moses the land that his people will soon inherit, God says, I've let you see it with your eyes, but you will not cross over into it. Now, keep in mind, this is definitely a premature death for Moses. I mean, he's just climbed 4,500 feet in elevation. And in Deuteronomy 34.7, we're told Moses was 120 years old when he died. Yet his eyes were not weak, nor his strength gone. So he's 120 years old, and he's still got it going on, people. 
And there's a lesson in that. You don't retire from God's work in your life. And there is ministry for you to do, whether you're in your 50s or your 60s or your 70s or your 80s or your 90s. We're never done with God's work. Now, when God tells him this, Moses, he doesn't freak out. He doesn't start arguing or bargaining with God. He doesn't say, what a ripoff. He doesn't abandon his faith. He's a pretty amazing guy. What's most amazing, though, is what Moses' main concern is in this moment. So if you and I, let's just say you, so that we don't have to talk about me right now. If you knew your time was short, what would you do? Party like a rock star? Take an epic family vacation? Eat an entire box of Krispy Kremes? <laughs> Quit your job and tell your boss off as you walk out the door? Maybe you'd go skydiving. Maybe Rocky Mountain climbing. Maybe even you'd try to go 2.7 seconds on a bull named Fu Manchu. <laughs> this is so amazing what Moses says. And it's what I said in the beginning that makes him such a godly model and why I love his story so much. Mo Moses isn't wallowing in, in self-pity. He has two requests of God. Number one, that God appoints someone to lead the people. You know, it's hard for a seasoned leader to let go. If you've ever led and retired or moved on, you know what I'm talking about. If you've sold your company, or you've been an administrator and somebody comes in and takes over your people. To let God choose and make any changes he wants to make without your presence can be really difficult for a leader. Um, Moses is concerned here that someone replace him and that that person is a person of God's choice. In, in Numbers 27, 15, Moses said to the Lord, may the Lord, the God who gives breath to all living things, Appoint, appoint someone over this community. And what is his main criteria for this replacement? And this is the second thing, that the new leader has a shepherd's heart. That's what Moses wants. Moses says this person should be like this, one who will, in verse 17, he says, who will go out and come in before them. He'll go before them. He'll be with them. One who will lead them out and bring them in. He will be in front of them leading them. So the Lord's people will not be like sheep without a shepherd. Do you see that Moses' biggest concern here in this leadership transition was for the people that he'd been leading for 40 years? And you know, as we've seen, they weren't an easy bunch to lead, right? Moses, of all people, had every right to say, good riddance with these knuckleheads. Who cares what happens to them? And Moses could have also just like been full of himself. He could have said, you know, hey, you're, you know, you're getting rid of me. I kind of think of Colonel Jessup right now. I run my Israelites like I run my Israelites. You know, that, never mind. He could have said, I, br I brought Pharaoh to his knees. I split the sea. I brought water from a rock. I gave, I, I gave the Ten Commandments. But here he is at the end of his life, concerned for his people's future. 
and asking God, praying in a sense, please replace me with someone who truly loves you, God, and loves your people. And there's more. Now, many of you know who's going to be Moses' replacement because you've read the story. I love it if you don't know because I'm about to tell you. There aren't many choices left, right? Um, as far as we know, there are only two possibilities, Caleb or Jacob, or uh, Caleb or Joshua. And in Numbers 27, 18, the Lord said to Moses, take Joshua, son of Nun, a man in whom is the spirit of leadership, and lay your hand on him. Have him stand before Eleazar, the priest, and the entire assembly, and commission him in their presence. And give him some of your authority, so the whole Israelite community will obey him. This is a public and ceremonial de uh, demonstration of Moses willingly handing his leadership off to Joshua. God says, I want you to lay your hand on him. This is a way of saying, I'm, I'm transferring my leadership to you. And I want you to stand before the priest, which uh, is a holy act. You're consecrating him and commission him and give him some of your authority, God says. Some of the, the it factor that Moses had. And again, we see no resentment or resistance in Moses. He realizes it's, his time is done, and it's time for someone else to lead. And, you know, from the get-go, Moses knew this was never about him or how much copy he would have in the Bible. This was all about what God had called him personally to do and to take that role fully and trust God in the process. Now, as I mentioned before, it can be really hard if you're a leader to hand off something like this to someone else. But how a leader hands off their leadership says a lot about their character. And that's true of head coaches and CEOs and politicians and pastors. And you have a couple of options when you're in this position. One, you can hand off your leadership with class and dignity and integrity and support the incoming. Or number two, you can refuse to step down. And you can sue or you can undermine everything that's going to be left when you leave. You know, they say that relay races are won in the baton, in the baton handoff. And that is definitely true of leadership. And it's a sign of a good leader. So Moses, what does he do? Verse 22, Moses did as the Lord commanded him. And he took Joshua and had him stand before Eleazar the priest and the whole assembly. Then he laid his hands on him and commissioned him as the Lord instructed through Moses, exactly what God had invited him to do, right? And after viewing the land with God as his tour guide, and then this public handoff of his leadership, Deuteronomy 34, 5, Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in Moab, as the Lord had said. And he, he buried him in Moab, in the valley opposite Beth Peor, and, but to, to this day, no one knows where his grave is. So God himself buries Moses in an unmarked grave, um, in an unknown location, so that no one would inappropriately worship Moses. And in verse 8, the Israelites grieved for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days until the time of weeping and mourning was over. So 
good principle here. People always appreciate you after you die. Because they didn't appreciate him much when he was alive, right? And so this great man who comes from humble, such humble beginnings, just an ordinary person who's used by God to do extraordinary things, he passes on. And he spends eternity with the one he followed from the very beginning. Kind of puts a lump in your throat, doesn't it? Now, you, some of you are probably saying, okay, Britt, that's great. It's been a great ride. 33 messages. Should have been maybe 16, but I'll go with you. Uh, it's been great watching Moses lead the Israelites. And, uh, but what does that have to do with me? Here in the Temecula Valley, 2023. What can I learn from this? Because, you know, I'm not leading a million, a few million Israelites in the desert. I'm a middle school teacher. Or I don't carry the staff of God. I'm a checker at a grocery store. As far as I know, God has no plans to take me up to Mount Palomar and look down on the Temecula Valley and tell me what his plans are, right? So what can we take away from Moses' life? What's the big idea? Here it is. With God, it's all about the heart. With God, it's all about the heart. And you can see this in Moses' conversation with God on the top of Mount uh, Nebo. Uh, Numbers 27, 15, Moses said to the Lord, may the Lord, the God who gives breath to all living things, appoint someone over this community to go out and come in before them, one who will lead them out and bring them in so the Lord's people will not be like sheep without a shepherd. So Moses' request of God is just pick someone Appoint someone over your people who will go before them, lead them where they need to be, someone with the heart of a shepherd like I've been doing. And you know, when I read that, I can't help but think of another leader who came along later in the nation of Israel. They, they referred to him as the greatest king Israel had ever known. And in that, that story, we're not going to read the whole thing, as God is revealing King Saul's replacement to the prophet Samuel all the candidates that come before him, they look kingly to him. But as young David comes before Samuel, God whispers in his ear, 1 Samuel 16, 7, the Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And many of you know the story. David became king, and he became known as a man who was after God's own heart. That is, with all of his flaws, and he had many, just like we all do. He had the heart of God. He was a great warrior, a great singer. He was charismatic. He was a great dancer. And he was the greatest king Israel ever had. But he was chosen by God because of his heart. And you know, I think that there's a lesson to take from that. That we should be a lot less impressed by people's outward appearance, by their wealth, by their standing or their education or their talent or their celebrity. And we should be more concerned with who they are on the inside. And that should be true of ourselves as well. You know, I can't also think, help but think of how Jesus is described in the New Testament. As he went through the villages and towns bringing people the good news, look at how he saw people. In Matthew 9, 36, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. 
Now, I don't know what your thoughts are about Jesus. I don't know if you're a Christian or not. You may wonder, what is he like? What does he think about you? What does he think about me? What does he think about others? What does he think about what's going on in the world? And I don't know who you idolize or who you follow, as they say now. Are they quick with words, super talented, gifted, smart? But the remarkable quality here of Jesus is his heart for people. Jesus saw people with with the eyes of a shepherd. And he's described as being filled with compassion when he saw people that couldn't find their way. And now this is where it gets down to you and me. Because we have Moses' example. We have David's example. And we have Jesus who we're following, right? As believers. Look at what Jesus says right after this. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. In other words, Jesus, with his heart filled with compassion, looks to his his key team here, and he says, Do you see what I see? There's so much to be done here. There are so many people who are lost without God's guidance in their lives. It's like a harvest, ripe ripe and ready to be taken. And all we need is people with the same heart that God has on this, like Moses, like David, like Jesus. Now here's where it comes down to us. God wants us to grow a shepherd's heart. If you're a follower of Jesus, God wants you and I to cultivate this heart that Jesus has for people. Who does, who, who does God see when he looks at the church today? When he looks at you and me? Does he see an army of shepherds? An abundance of people who look at our neighborhood, our communities, our nation, our world with the same view as Jesus has? That we see the world as people without a shepherd and we have compassion upon them? What do people see who don't go to church when they look at the church today? Do they see a place where they can find compassion? Do they see people who claim to be Christians, who are also harvesters, who are out in the world making a difference and reaping the fruit that God says is there? Do they see workers? Do they see harvesters? You know, our mission here at Sunridge is to help people find and follow Jesus. And I just want to, like, give you a little gut check right now. Are you part of that movement? How are you a part of what God is doing in the world, of helping people find and follow Jesus? And one of the things you can do to kind of, like, drill down and, and, and be honest with yourself is to say, you know, where is my heart? and what's going on in the world today. You know, the Bible shows us that shepherds and workers with heartfelt compassion, heartfelt compassion can come from every walk of life. It's not just for pastors or for people who have nothing else going on. You can be a man's man, remarkably tough and resilient like Moses, and still have the heart of a shepherd. You can be super talented. You can be charismatic and winsome and powerful influential. 
You can be a leader like David and utilize those gifts that God has given you like a shepherd. And you can be just a regular, ordinary person who's just a mom or a dad, a friend who has the heart of a shepherd like Jesus, like Moses, like David, like God. And you know, one of the things I'm really grateful for about, uh, about Sunridge is we, we have so many amazing people here who exemplify the heart of a shepherd. We have business owners who capture kids' attention when they teach the Bible up in children's ministry. We have a college professor who stands in front of a bunch of fourth and fifth graders and cracks jokes and goofs off with them and then teaches them a lesson from the Bible. We have people who are practically geniuses in their field, highly successful in the corporate world, who run a camera. We have people with super demanding jobs that get home, get dinner made, and then so that they can be ready for the 15 people that are going to show up at their home as part of their growth group. And we have teachers in our church that go above and beyond with their students who are struggling and are outcast, have crummy home situations, and they make sure they connect with that kid every day that they're at school. And we have people who are excellent in their careers, but are also aware of the opportunities that God gives them in the workplace to show the heart of Jesus to people. And we have retirees from all kinds of careers who gather on Mondays to sew items for a variety of missions in local hospitals. They're, they're engaged with the heart of Jesus and what God is doing. We're super fortunate that many of you have caught that vision for what it means to follow Jesus. But here, 2,000 years later, I think the words of Jesus still ring true. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. You know, I read this description a long time ago, um, and I'm going to put it up on the screen. Someone once said that churches are a lot, a lot like an NFL game. You have 80,000 people badly in need of exercise sitting idly in the stands watching 22 people badly in need of rest run all around. So why is it that way? I mean, if it's so clear, what's the problem? Why isn't there an abundance of people who claim to follow Jesus demonstrating the heart of a shepherd? The truth of the matter is right in here. So I have four recommendations for you. I'll go quickly as I can that will help us cultivate a shepherd's heart. Number one, first of all, we, we need the right role models. Christianity has been co-opted today. And it's becoming more and more rare to find pastors or Christian leaders or Christian voices who advocate a compassionate view toward lost sheep. So that in the church, we, have, we haven't seen shepherding taught or modeled. So we're becoming more and more ignorant about what faith in Christ looks like, what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And sometimes I get so concerned that, like, I'm worried that we don't even know what Christianity is about anymore. I say that because some of the loudest and most popular voices look nothing at all like Jesus today, speaking for God. Titus 1.16, Paul said they claim to know God, but by their actions they deny him. 
Paul set an explicit model for the attitude in the, of, of an action of a Christian with a shepherd's heart. It's in Philippians 2, 3. Do, not do, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. And in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. You know, I would ask every Christian here to ask yourselves if you're following the, the true model of Christian faith or have you become enamored by the false message and model of those who do exactly the opposite of what Paul says to do here. So number one, consider changing your role models if you want to develop a shepherd's heart. Number two, eliminate self-centeredness. Eliminate self-centeredness. You know, like, you're like, Britt, you're really stepping on my toes today. You should see what it feels like when I write this stuff. So much of Christianity has become like self-indulgent and really a reflection of the values and things that we already prefer. And in, in our Christian world, we've become king and queen because I can make the Bible say whatever I want it to say. And in fact, I think Bible knowledge is on such a, it's going down, down, down that, that we don't even know. We don't even know when we're not following true Christianity. So let's, let's be super clear here. Christianity is not about me and it's not about you. Jesus said in Matthew 16, 24, then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. Does that sound anything like what you and I are doing? Does it sound like the voices that we're listening to? Does it sound like your attitude in your marriage? Does, does denying yourself and taking up your cross and following, does it sound like how you utilize your time or your money? Does it sound, does it sound like the, the, the way that you reflect upon your talents and where you're investing them or how you interact with people or your personal agenda? A shepherd's primary concern is for the sheep. That's what makes him okay with walking around in the hot sun, hanging out with a bunch of stinky sheep. It's, and while they'll sleep in a tent or outside or they'll stay up all night alert to predators instead of just goofing off. It's kind of like being a parent in a way. You know, before you became a parent, before you had that first kid, you were thinking how cool it's going to be to have a little mini me walking around in my house. And uh, we're going to read books. We're going to eat ice cream. We're going to snuggle on the couch. And we're going to watch Bluey. <laughs> and then you bring that baby home. And they cry. They eat. They poop. And they repeat <laughs> over and over again. And then pretty soon they move on from that. But then you're like... What you're doing then is driving them to everything that's happening in the world, umpteen practices, and you're trying to find them a math tutor. And about the time they get really, really expensive, they're telling you they're an adult and you shouldn't be telling them what to do. <laughs> you know, come to think of it, being a parent's a really big ripoff in the end. <laughs> but you will never be a good parent if you think it's all about you, right? And you will never have a shepherd's heart as long as you're self-centered. Jesus said the good shepherd will lay down his life for the sheep. 
And I think our time is crying out for Christians that don't think so much of themselves or their opinions or their preferences or how everything should go according to them. Actually, we need less opinions and less pontification on all matters. We need more heart. We need Christians who have Jesus at the center of their lives instead of themselves. So, can I get an amen to that? Okay. Oh, that's pretty good. So, if you want a shepherd's heart, consider who your role models are. Get rid of self-centeredness as much as you can. And thirdly, you got to realize sheep are difficult. Realize sheep are difficult. Because sheep are a great example or metaphor of this scenario. Because sheep are pretty much helpless. They can't take care of themselves. They can, even without a shepherd, they won't even find food. They have no natural defenses. They're easily lost. And with, so without a shepherd, the sheep die. But you, you interject into that scenario that they, that they need so many things, but they can be hard. That shouldn't be a newsflash. Do you think Moses uh, realized how hard it was to be with the sheep? But even though it's hard, we can't keep using the same old excuse of why we can't tolerate them, why we can't be around them. So you and I need to be less picky about the sheep that God puts us with. Even though sheep can be frustrating, just like the Israelites, they'll frustrate you, they'll hurt you, they'll hold different opinions than you, sometimes they'll talk about you. They'll have crazy ideas about how the world should run. But the only way that we can be, the only way we can call ourselves shepherds is to be with them, to be right there with them, to go through it with them. So if, if you and I will listen to the right role models and get rid of self and work through the, the discomfort of being with a bunch of stinky sheep, you'll find that God starts to shape our hearts. But there's one last thing. Probably the most important thing to cultivate a shepherd's heart, and that's to spend time with the great shepherd. Spend time with the great shepherd. You know, it said that Moses spoke with God face to face as with a friend. And that time with God shaped him. We've seen that. It changed Moses' opinion of things. I'm going to ask the band to come up. And I just want to remind you guys that Moses wasn't this person when we started. Not when he started. You remember who he was? Impetuous, uh, let his anger fly, murdered somebody, uh, was fearful. He, he wasn't that person. But he spent time with God. And that began to shape him over 40 years. It made him a different person. And I'm wondering, like, how many of us need to get back to the, those basic things that I talked about today? We can admire Moses and say he was awesome, which he was. But for you and me, how can we be more like that? How can we be more like Jesus? The only way that can happen is if we spend time with him. And that, for, for some of you, that might mean you, you need to start reading the Gospels. Maybe you've never read Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. 
Some of you need to restart, right? You've read it, but it's been a long time. You have other voices that are speaking into your life. And by the way, like listening to somebody talk about it like I am is not the same as you, just you and God and your Bible. Some of us need to spend more time in prayer. And we need to talk to God about the things that we're so worried about and fearful about. The things that are bugging us. The things that we think God should do something about. Some of us should spend more time in silence rather than just having noise all the time and, you know, having all this cacophony of stuff. We just need to turn it all off, put the phone away, look away from the screen and look toward Jesus and start to allow your mind and your heart to be cultivated by the great shepherd, the one who looks on the people that will eventually take his life and he looks upon them with compassion. I'm no, look, I'm, I'm not preaching at you. I'm preaching with you. I'm just a regular dude. And if you drove around in town with me, you would see that. You know, I hand out some theology that you guys would not want to hear from me on Sunday sometimes. But if I spend time with God, it changes things. And I, you know, for many of us, we just need to reignite that passion of allowing God to shape our heart. And for those of us that are here today and you're, you're exploring faith, I challenge you, click off what you've heard about Christians. Click off what, what you're hearing Christians say is Christianity and just read about Jesus. In your New Testament, the first four books are biographies. We're going to study Mark beginning in January. And uh, it's just stories about Jesus. And then you figure out who Jesus is. And, and see why you would not want to follow him. It would change your heart. Let me pray. Let's say goodbye to Moses and hello to a new heart through Jesus. And then we're going to worship together. God. We thank you for the examples that we find in the Old Testament for such an ordinary but great man like Moses and that we can learn from his mistakes and his victories. I guess I'd ask that um, for Sunridge, for the people that call Sunridge home, that um, you would just work on us, chisel chisel away those hard parts of our heart soften them and give us the compassionate heart of a shepherd for our world today for our families for our friends for the people that you put around us and let us reflect who you are to the world in a genuine and authentic way amen uh, so keep these thoughts in mind as we worship because the lyrics that our band has chosen are going to just like just totally drive it deep in your heart. Let's stand and worship together. Hey everybody, it's Britt again. Thanks for listening. If you need something, if you have a question, or you'd just like us to pray for you, you can reach us through email, info at sunridgechurch.org. We hope you'll listen in again next week, but in the meantime, keep helping people find and follow Jesus.